Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. So I um, want to talk to you today on Palm Sunday about following Jesus in, in all of life, which is uh, the theme for this series. Um, and really our job is to discover what, what Jesus is already doing, because God is always uh, at work, uh, and we're just trying to uncover that. So we want to see our city transformed. We need to be the everyone, every day, everywhere, people who are tuning in to what Jesus is already doing. As we turn towards Easter and we start to think about about Palm Sunday, which is today, uh, and Jesus coming in uh, on on a donkey. And that picture is kind of where I want to start uh, for us, is that we see, and the picture I've had in my head all week is the fact that Jesus was surrounded by this crowd. He was surrounded by the busyness, by the hype, by all the cheers of people excited about who he was and what he is doing. The context just before this, is that he had been to the house of Mary and Martha, and their brother Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And the people who are with Jesus know that. That's why they're all so excited, because Jesus is the um, promised along for Messiah. But he's also uh, been anointed by Mary um, with this, this oil, um, this pure nard, and, and Phil Emerson does a brilliant talk about this too, but um, this is what we read. Then Mary took about half a liter of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it out on Jesus' feet and w- wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And now Judas criticizes the waste of money, and we read on, it says, leave her alone, um, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. And so in the midst of all the hype around Jesus coming as Messiah, we have this picture as well uh, that, that he's going to, to his death. And I, I kind of like to think that, that Jesus smelt of that perfume, of that anointing as he rode into that city. And maybe even um, as he got as far as the cross, that still that aroma, that beautiful aroma of anointing was still upon him. What I want to do is just to read the story of um, what we call the triumphal entry. It's um, from John 12. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along. I want to read this to us for this to be the picture, the backdrop to the message that I believe that God has given me for you all this morning. So uh, John 12 from verse 12, and it says, uh, the next day, so the day after they had been to Bethany and uh, Jesus had been anointed, The great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had to be done to him. Yeah, is that the right? Am I on? Yeah. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because he had heard he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. 
So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And so we have this picture, this image of the whole world um, after around Jesus, the crowd are getting so excited that they're literally throwing down their cloaks, they're pulling branches off trees. They think that the Messiah, the Savior is coming. And, and actually we have this language that they're using, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the King of Israel. And so this is actually quite dangerous language to use. It's revolutionary language. They're saying this new king is coming into the city, but there's already a king. Uh, he's called Caesar. The, the city is under Roman occupation, under Roman rule. This is something which is a revolution taking place, and everybody is sucked up into that. Everybody's carried along by the excitement. Part of that comes from the fact that Lazarus has been raised from the dead. If there's any greater sign um, than someone being raised from the dead, then it's hard to think of because this is what the people have been waiting for. And the disciples are there too. They're going along with this. They're in the crowd. They're excited because they think their boss, Jesus, their rabbi, he's going to take his rightful place. He's going to walk straight into the temple. He's going to tell everybody he's the Messiah. Um, and, and as we know, they'll soon be disappointed because that's not what's going to happen. And in fact, in the midst of this busyness, in the midst of all this excitement and hype, we read on, we read the words of Jesus where he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And they're probably thinking, that's great, fantastic. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world, we'll keep it for eternal life. And then we have um, a voice from heaven speaking. A voice from heaven said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die. So in the middle of all this celebration, in the middle of the excitement of Jesus coming, and people thinking their savior has come, and that the Roman occupiers are going to be overthrown, that, that the kingdom of God, like the kingdom back in in the days of David is going to happen, but no, Jesus is bringing a different message. He's not responding to the enthusiasm and the excitement of the crowd. And in fact, in Luke's account, it says, and this is Luke 19, 41 and 42, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And so we have this comparison, this contrast between the, the crowd and their excitement and Jesus, the Prince of Peace, riding on the donkey, who knows that the cross is actually his destination. And so if you don't hear anything else that I say, hear this. 
What God is calling us to do is to work out how we don't respond just to the crowd, but how we respond to the cross. To, to actually think about what's going on in our lives and whether we find ourselves being driven by the excitement of the crowd or do we go to the cross. You see, Jesus had plenty of people around him when the crowd was there. But everyone abandoned him by the time I got to the cross, which is less than a week um, away in this story. But no matter what the busyness, no matter what the chaos around Jesus, he is at peace because he is the prince of peace. He is the non-anxious presence in the busyness of life. And uh, a little quote, and I've kind of had to tweak it a little bit because it comes from the business world, but... Um, Edmund Friedman says, the function of a leader in a specific circumstance is to be a non-anxious, self-defined presence. See, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in in life, it should be dictated, how we feel, how we act, how we behave should be dictated to by what God says about us. We see even in this story that God spoke to Jesus not just for his benefit, but so that disciples would realize, you know, when the crowd is all worked up, when people are going in one direction, you need to know the right way to go. You need to choose the right path and not get dragged along by whatever is going on around you. And uh, our challenge for us in our modern society and modern life is this. In the middle of chaos, in the middle of the busyness of life, the noise of Brexit, continuous information bombardment on social media. In a world where people are defined by the products they have, the labels they wear, who they know more than what they know, how do we walk a different way? How do we walk a different path? How do we not just be separate from the world, but be in the world, but not of it? To be in the crowd, but still know the right way to go in any circumstance. Paul, writing to the Romans, uses a slightly different language where he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And then you'll know, then you'll know the way to go. You'll be able to test and approve God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's so easy for us to conform. If we had been in the crowd that day, we would have been also whipped up into the frenzy. We'd be thinking, yes, here we go. This is it. It's so easy to get pulled along by other people. But Jesus was always looking to the cross. This is the place that he knew he was going to go. And if we are going to pattern our lives on Jesus, what we need to realize is that the crowd is not how we work out how well we're doing in life. The cross is the way of the cross and the way of Jesus. We're called to follow that path. And that's harder to walk because what we find so often in life is that we'll be going in a different direction to the crowd. This little picture, um, there are lots of these out there, but this one I like. You know, everybody's going in this one direction very often. And we as Christians, if we're not intentional about the way that we live, we'll end up going in the same direction. But if we want to see a city transformed, if we want to see our communities and our neighborhoods transformed, we have to know the way to go and choose that path. And Jesus did this all throughout his earthly ministry. Uh, at the very start of his earthly ministry, when he did his first miracles, he healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law. And then loads of people came to get prayer for healing. And a crowd has gathered. 
The disciples think this is brilliant, but Jesus has disappeared. He's way off to pray. This is in Mark chapter 1. And says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place to pray. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And so we see that Jesus doesn't respond to the crowd at the start of his ministry. When he feeds the 5,000, there's another crowd. But he says to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake, get into the boat. We're going to go somewhere else. We're going to leave the crowd behind because we're on a mission. We have something to do. And with Jesus, the model, the pattern that we have to take on board is that it's the time alone with God up in the mountain that enables him when he's down in the valley in the midst of everyday circumstances to respond not to the voice of the crowd, not to what everyone else is doing, but what the Father is doing. And we find ourselves placed in lots of different environments in life where we need to choose between the crowd and the cross. But how do we do that? I've spent many years in different environments. I've studied um, business in college and university. I spent 15 years working in the IT industry. I've also spent over 12 years uh, as a pastor. I've done lots of different things. And I've found myself in lots of different environments, from board meetings to business breakfasts, lecture theatres, pubs and clubs on work nights out, sporting teams, PTA committees, community meetings, civic engagements, allotment projects, community fun days, all these different environments. How do we know the way to go? If we want to see a city transformed, if we want to see our neighborhoods transformed, we need to learn to be everyone every day, everywhere, and what it means to be that in whatever circumstance God has placed us in. When I follow Jesus, I realize that he is already at work in these environments. So following him is not a part-time job. It's not what I do after I've been to work. And I've been in this situation myself where I've gone and I've done my, my day's work and I'm looking forward to when that ends so I can get out and do the God stuff. And actually when you do that, what you find is you become really reticent to the fact that you have to go and work in the first place and so you're like just going to get through this just going to get through this and then I'm going to go and do all this amazing God stuff so then your witness and work becomes rubbish it becomes pathetic it has no power at all but God is at work in your workplace in fact God and his spirit are drawn particularly to those that are broken and hurting whose lives are messed up people that don't know Jesus God is drawn to them and what we need to realize is that it's so much more about looking like Jesus than it is telling people information about Jesus. Sometimes in our workplaces or in our community environments or in sporting clubs or whatever, we're looking to tell people about Jesus. We're looking to present six points that may or may not begin with P, but if they do, that's even more holy and spiritual, about the gospel, about how you come to faith. And those circumstances do come up. But the more important thing is, is that your witness shows people a different way to live. It shows who Jesus is. Um, 
I used to work with a guy and uh, would have lots of chats about faith. And I remember him saying, you know, I really admire your faith. You know, you really believe what you say and you live that out. That's brilliant. And, you know, you have your God and you have your faith and that's powerful. And he said, but, but my God is Manchester United. And he wasn't even joking. This was when Manchester United were a good football team, by the way. Um, tells you how long ago that was. Um, and I don't support Liverpool, by the way, just in case you're wondering. Um, so what was really fascinating about that, and I'll not go into the story today too, too much, but a real tragedy happened in his life. Because I had shared my faith, because I had reached out to him, because I had been a witness over a number of years in his life, he picked up the phone and he rang me. And he came and he chatted to me. And a few months later, I texted him to say, well, did you watch the match tonight? Man United were playing in the quarterfinals or semifinals of the European Cup. And he says, no, I haven't seen it yet. I'm just home from church. Because God had come in. God had transformed and changed his life. And, and my job was to be a witness to God's goodness so that in the time that God was working, as the Holy Spirit was moving, I was able to be there to lead him towards Jesus. And he continues to follow him, which is fantastic. What we need to realize, as it says in Second uh, Corinthians 3, verse 3, and I love this, it's brilliant. It says, uh, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You are a story. It's written on your heart. It's written on your life about the goodness of Jesus. And so you go into your home, your street, your workplace, wherever the environment is that you spend most of your time, and you're a story, a living story of the goodness of Jesus. And so you will find yourself not being able to go with the crowd, even though we all just have this deep desire to fit in. You're not always going to fit in because you're telling a different story. You're telling a better story, a superior story of the goodness of God. And we need to tell our stories, warts and all, because we're not perfect. We need to tell our stories and our struggles. We need to have Christians who are willing to tell about the struggles that they have with mental health, about the struggles that we have for, for healing. We need to tell our story and tell it well. When I uh, started working full-time for the church, I realized that I could end up spending all of my time with Christians. And that's a horrible thought, isn't it? And if we're real, isn't it a horrible thought that you could spend all of your time with Christians? I mean, we've got all eternity for that. But what I mean by that is that if I spent all my time with Christians... How could I tell people that don't know Jesus who he is? How could I live my life before them to make him known? Jesus never spent his time, like all of his time with all the religious people. He went to the lost and the broken. He went to everyone and, and anyone. He tried to avoid the religious leaders a lot of the time. And so we need to choose to be in environments. So if we're going to see a city transformed, let me tell you this. It will not happen through people just coming to this building. It will not happen through the great and wonderful events that we do in church, like the Easter event. Fantastic, amazing. 
it will, that'll be part of it, that'll be part of the story, but very often the things that we do to bless our city, like the Easter event, they're prophetic statements of God's love to people. They're, they're things, they're shining a light on top of a hill that some people will come to. But how a city becomes changed and transformed is that when every single one of us goes out with the good news of Jesus and we live a different way and we share a different story and we speak a better word into the circumstances that we find ourselves in every day. And so one of the ways that I do that is being part of a cycling club. And I was saying that uh, earlier on that one of the things that happens in a cycling club, because and I'm not just a Christian, I'm also a pastor, and people know that because they ask you what you do and stuff like that. If there's somebody when we're cycling, say in a group of 12, who doesn't know me, the level of swearing will be quite high. But then as you see, you rotate round as you're cycling, and everybody gets a turn to meet everybody. But before the swearer who doesn't know me has got to me, they'll have stopped swearing because somebody will have told them, oh, your man's a pastor. What's the language? Right? And if that is the only witness that I ever have, I'd be disappointed, to be honest. People swear less around you, fantastic. But we can do better than that. We can do more. You know, we want to see people change and transform, not just stop swearing. But could it be that God would use us to bring change and transformation to the circumstances that we're in? Could it be that when you're, you're in the staff canteen at lunchtime, that the level of gossip drops because you're in the room? Could it be actually that long-term, the level of gossip stops because you've learned to speak well of other people, that you set a new norm, an acceptable level of communication and a way for people to talk? Could it be on a building site where you find yourself working that when somebody is going through a hard time, maybe struggling with mental health issues or maybe struggling with physical illness, that I think, oh, I know who I can go and talk to. This person will be able to help me. Could it be that when we're in a boardroom and there are difficult decisions to make, that you, with a transformed mind, could bring wisdom and revelation, that you would speak truth with boldness that would transform the decisions made in that boardroom? There are so many circumstances in which we can bring change and transformation to if we would catch a glimpse of Jesus and know that he is at work, but also that we intentionally and consistently do not just run with the crowd, but look to the cross and look to the person on the cross who is Jesus and respond to him and what he is doing. So here's a few ideas. Number one, we choose to speak Oh, yeah, I'm on the right page now. I can't even read that, you see. Yeah, we choose sonship over popularity. Where are we? Yeah, so Christ's identity over popularity. Being like Jesus in our character and our actions will not always win us popularity awards, but over time, people will see Jesus in us and that we will become change and transformation. But if you know who you are, you can respond differently to circumstances. We don't respond out of fear. We don't res respond out of shame. We respond and we bring life. Imagine a, a Christian who knows who they are working in Tesco on the till. Could it be that then people that come in on a regular basis want to go to that till 
want that person to serve them because they, being confident in who they are, speak life to others, speak encouragement to others, speak inspiration to other people. We choose sacrificial living over consumerism. So much, I worked in business and marketing for a long, long time. And let me tell you, one of the most destructive forces out there in this world is consumerism. I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I need. And we're constantly told, if you only had this thing, it's always a new thing, it's always slightly out of reach, you don't currently have it. If we only had that, life would be a little bit better, and life would be a little bit uh, would go a little bit better for us. Is it any wonder that people have serious mental health issues? Is it any wonder we feel like we can never settle? Is it any wonder people are constantly running after the next thing and, and are never happy? Our entire economy depends on unhappiness because unhappiness drives consumption and consumption drives the economy. And Christians, we have to choose a different way and a different path. It doesn't mean that we can't have nice stuff or a new phone or a new car or nice clothes, but we have a different relationship with those things. And in doing that, we show people a different way to, to live. So the person that's working 60, 70, 80 hours a week to get the latest and greatest next thing, and in the hope that they'll be able to walk around with the latest one of, of these pieces of technology, suddenly realizes there's a different way to live that we live within a consumeristic society in a different way, that we're that fish going in a different direction, that we point towards a deeper reality, is that my life, my identity, my purpose is found in something deeper than what I have or what I do not have. And so we choose sacrificial living over consumerism. We choose to speak for the weak rather than be popular with the strong. I have three children, and one of the things you notice as they grow up, they're always trying to fit in, and they're always trying to fit in with the right people. They're always trying to work out, you know, who to be seen with, or, or who, who's the cool person, or, you know, where do I fit in, where's my place? And so many of our kind of movies and stuff, particularly kind of teen movies, are about that, that same sort of thing. But what if we were so confident in our reality that we choose to stand beside the odd the rejected, the weak, the, the person who maybe has a funny smell often that nobody else wants to go near? What if we placed ourselves with the broken and we did that on a regular basis? Could we teach our society a different narrative? Our society values the strong, the famous, the rich, the wealthy. Jesus went to the weak, to the poor, to the widow, to the orphan. And so we don't respond to the crowd again. We respond to the way of the cross. And we find ourselves with those people. But not just that we find ourselves with them, but that we speak for them as well. That we speak up out against injustice and things like human trafficking. Has anybody ever seen any human trafficking around in, the, in our area? Have you ever seen things you think, that's not quite right? Let's just ignore it. Let's pretend like it, do, it isn't there. Let's just forget about it because it's not our problem. Do you know what it is your problem? Because you're a follower of Jesus and his heart is for that problem and that brokenness. His heart is for the unborn child. So we, we had um, 
Both Lives Matter came in and, and do something uh, in this building during the week. Um, we need to learn to speak for the unborn child. We need to speak in the situations and circumstances that are going to put us at odds with our culture and odds with our society and so we need to have the voice not just of no but of the, the voice of Jesus where we say there is a different way there is a better way and we point people towards that and we speak out even if that makes us unpopular even if it pushes us to the edges and only if our, we are seated with Christ, if our identity is secure, can we do these things because we'll, we'll be put at odds with the crowd and we'll find ourselves heading towards the cross. And so another one is that we choose humility over pride. Jesus rides in as the Prince of Peace, humbly on a donkey. You see, he didn't ride in on a horse. If he was ready for battle, he would have come on a horse, but he comes on a donkey. He comes in humility. And we need to go into every environment that we're called to with humility. Um, a woman who I used to work with, who actually used to go to this church years and years ago, was the ultimate servant in our workplace. And one of the things that she used to do is she used to make tea for everybody every single morning in life. Would you like a wee cup of tea? She was like Mrs. Doyle of the workplace. Uh, but she set a different culture because every time anybody else went to get a cup of tea, they asked, do you want a cup of tea to everyone else? And it was only like eight or nine of us. And I absolutely loved that. I thought I could, I could see you've changed the culture where it's not just about me anymore, but it's about us in a very simple way. Then an email came along from one of the managers. If you're getting yourself a cup of tea, you're not allowed to make a cup of tea for anyone else. Right? So what do you think... Linda did. She kept making cups of tea for everyone. What do you think I did? Because if I'm told not to do something and I think it's unjust, I will do the opposite. Um, start, but you know what I mean? Like, why would you want to stop? Because this person couldn't handle that. They thought, well, it's a waste of time and company resources that you would spend like 30 seconds extra making like five other people a cup of tea. It changed the atmosphere in that office. And we can do that if we're humble and willing to be a servant. So we choose the way of peace over the busyness and striving of life. People very often say to me as a pastor, well, how's your week? I'm sure you're busy. I'm sure you're busy. And um, I try to say to them, I try not to be. Because I've worked out that the busier you are, the less opportunity there is for God to move in your life. That if we don't, and we actually have little phrases to describe, you know, how busy we are. Busyness is a bit of an epidemic. So we're like, we're flat out. We're busting a gut. We're pedal to the metal. We're running around like a blue arse fly. We're burning the candle at both ends. We have all these phrases that tell how amazing we are because we're so, so busy. Look at me, I'm busy. And in fact, if you're not busy, you say you're busy anyway, because it's, it's a value within our culture. But what again, if Christians weren't just so busy? And if we weren't so busy, if we had, and we even have wee phrases to describe the need to have space, like, have you got any margin in your life? I don't have any margin in my life at the minute. No margin. You need to have margin in your life. Like, where did that even come from? 
You know, and so we have to have time out, we have to create margin, we need to chill, we have downtime, we're burnt out, our heads are fried, we're shattered, we need to switch off. I have a whole other set of language to describe the fact we're too busy and we don't like it. Why don't we just stop? Why don't we just create space and time? Because when you do that, you will see God move. You will see the situation, the circumstance that you're in changed and transformed. My kids have caught on to this. So now when we're driving anywhere and somebody's broken down, they're like, look, Dad, you should get out and help them. Because that's what we normally do, you know. And uh, it's amazing what you see God doing when you stop and when you have the patience and the time to tune in to, to what's going on around you. Um, so very quick story. Uh, so a lot of the time, actually, when God moves in my life powerfully, it's when I'm, I am really busy. And quite often when I have like all three of the children on my own and I'm trying to do something. So this one time I was going to Banbridge and I had all three kids. One of them wanted to stop at the charity shop because that's one of our favorite things to do. And we stopped at this charity shop. And so I said, well, you can go in, but the other two are staying in the car. Um, so we'll do this really quickly. And as I went out of the charity shop, a man who in a wheelchair um, was coming in, but he couldn't get in because the step was too high. And he said, look, I need a wee rucksack. Um, could you ask the girl in there if you have any? I said, well, look, i tell you what, I'll go in here. I collected all the rucksacks that they have in the store. He was in a motorized wheelchair, so I couldn't get him in. Took them out, said, which one do you want? He says, I'll have that one. So I went in and he said, here's the money for it. I said, look, it's all right, mate, it's four quid or something. And uh, I paid for this rucksack and gave it to the guy whilst having three children like two in a car and one in a charity shop, and I'm outside the charity shop and the car's parked there. This is, this is not the ideal circumstances at all, God. And um, so I just, this guy was really blown away by the fact that I took the time to do that and the fact that I spent a couple of pounds buying him this rucksack. So then um, I just started talking to him, found out a little bit about his life, and he gave his life to Jesus, you know, just because I'd taken a minute or two. And then... I said to him, I tell you what, I don't live around here, but I know there's a church around the corner and they have a wee coffee shop. And so I took him around the corner, told my children not to move from the car. <laughs> I'll be right back. It was in the days when one of them in particular was in those car seats that they can't get out of. Um, so that really helped. But took him around, introduced him to some this, this man, to some Christians um, who actually had just, we're just about to start the next day, the next week, an outreach into the um, sheltered living accommodation that this fellow was living in. And so I was able to pass him on, get back into the car, drive off with my kids. But stuff like that happens. Not people getting saved every day, but stuff happens when we build space and time in our life. We're willing to be quiet and still, when we're willing to listen and to see what God is doing. But I have got a sneaking suspicion that we as Christians spend too much time going to meetings and not enough time invested in our communities because if we want to see a city change and transform, we need to create time and space to invest where Jesus loves to be, which is with the lost and with the broken. Dallas Willard says, relentlessly, I think I might have it on the slide. No, I don't. Relentlessly remove hurry from your life. We're too busy hurrying around to have time to see what the Spirit is doing. So we need to wake up. We need to wake up 
to the fact that God is at work. And we need to invest time in his thing. We don't find ourselves being driven by the busyness of this world and by life. We've got to take a step back and ask God what it is that he is doing. You see, God has a vision and a dream for your life, for your city. But God has a vision or a dream for your workplace, for your home, for your local community. You know, God might have a vision for your local community and your local community group. And he needs you in there to get it done, to bring change and transformation to that area, to reduce crime, to build community cohesion. God has a vision for your workplace, whether you're the person that's cleaning the floors, feeding people at the canteen, doing admin, driving a truck, whatever it is that you're, you're called to do. Do you know God has a vision for that? He has a dream for that, and he's calling us to dream bigger dreams and to have bigger visions and to see a better future. He's calling us away from just running with the crowd to looking at the cross and thinking Jesus came to bring life, life in all of its fullness. And what does fullness of life look like? It looks like the kingdom of God coming from heaven, the reality of heaven coming to earth. So just as the band are going to come up, I would like us to take a minute or two in silence and ask God, give me a vision for where you have placed me. Maybe that vision needs to be restored or renewed, or maybe you've never had a vision before for your workplace or for your home or, or for the community that you're in. Maybe this morning God is going to speak to some people and say, I want you to join your local PTA or your local uh, community group. I want you to come and, and serve them. I want you to get involved in that. I want you to bring life to the environments that you're in. I want you to change the way you use your time because you're too busy for me to, for you to even hear what I'm trying to say to you. You're too busy. You're missing opportunities left, right, and center because you're running at full speed all of the time. The amount of times I see something that I should do something about, don't do something about it, and then turn around either in the street or in my car and go back because I'm too busy. And I'm having this conversation with God. I'm too busy. I'm too busy to do that. And I realize if I can't give up a few minutes of my time to do something that the Holy Spirit is prompting me to do, there's something seriously wrong in me that needs to change. And maybe my busyness is, is one of the first things. But I would love for you to think, like this little picture illustrates, is there a vision? Is there a dream? of change and transformation in your workplace that involves you and the Holy Spirit bringing life to the environment that you're in. So let's just, let's just take two minutes in silence and ask God for a picture or a vision of a better future in the circumstances that you find yourself in. I feel like there might be somebody here who's been thinking or dreaming of starting something new, like um, some kind of grip a hobby-based group to connect with other people uh, and also someone who, who maybe feels like they want to start a small business and there's never been a right time or a good time. If that's you this morning, I just want you to, to know that the Holy Spirit is with you, that God is going to give you the strategy of heaven for the project that, that you want to do. But for all of us, let's pray. Father, will you show us 
Will you show us and give us a vision and a dream? God, will you give us the strategies of heaven? Will you give us the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would see the places that we're at, our homes, our streets, communities, workplaces, schools, or all the places that you, you put us to be salt and light, to be yeast worked in to these environments. Lord, give us fresh vision and fresh dreams for them in your name. Let's stand and worship. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.